We teamed up with What's the Buzz Coffee to create three blends to help support the show. We have Summit View, Weekend Getaway, and the most popular Espresso Blend. They're all small batch roasted and the highest quality bean that you can come across. Being coffee lovers ourselves, we could not be more happy with the product. We drink it every single day. So head over to 95adventures.com. That's the only place you can find these three blends, by the way, from What's the Buzz. 95adventures.com and grab yourself a bag and help support the show today. My guest today is Annie Kuntz. She is an Olympian, and not only is she an Olympian, she won the trials and the heptathlon, and she is headed to Tokyo. So I am super stoked to get to talk to the top of the top in their field. It, this was an awesome conversation. I really had a blast. So thank you, Annie, for being on, and everybody enjoy this conversation with the Olympian, Annie Kuntz. Okay, cool. There you go. Thanks, Annie, for being on. This is awesome. Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't even know how I found out. Like, uh, we live in College Station, obviously, and it just popped up. Yeah, gigum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm a, I'm, I don't know if I can even do that. Is that le- with all the traditions? I'm an Aggie by marriage. So I there you I, go. I, I mean, I counts. think you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but living in College Station, <laughs> I see it pop up, like, and, uh, and I'm like, Oh, she's an Aggie. Oh, she's going to the... Oh, she won. That's awesome. Like, how cool <laughs> is that? And uh, I sent the, your little... You posted a little thing on your story, I think, a day later of that guy doing the, the funny announcing to the... How do you say it? you say it? Heptathlon? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Heptathlon. Yeah, so... Yeah. I sent um... it to Terrence, and uh, this guy, Terrence, at Sawed Off, uh, where my wife works, yeah. and, and he was like, oh, I know her. She's awesome. So, oh yeah, I, like, I know Terrence through Casey, who I used to. We did a radio show with Tech Sags, um, it, like gosh, five years ago now. Um, but yeah, Casey knows Terrence, I think, really well. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, then I asked you, and I was like, oh, she said yes. This is cool. I'm having an Olympic athlete <laughs> on the podcast. It's so rad. Yay! So fun. Yeah, I love podcasts, so I'm always down to do any type of stuff like this. So what? What? When did you get into – I just want to know when you got into um, like the track and field scene. Did you start as a youth or did mm-hmm. it like – is it something that you progressed into later? Yeah, I – so I've been I've been doing track and field. I'm, um, I'm the youngest by eight and a half years and ten years, my brother and sister. So I got dragged to all their track meets when I was very young and – I'm six feet tall now, so I was tall when I was little, and um, so I've been doing track since I was, like, two and a half, um, so basically since I could walk, and then soccer since I was, like, three or four, so um, I got introduced to track super early. Um, I did youth track, and then soccer was pretty much my my main sport, my main focus, my first love, honestly, for years. Um and then soccer and tracker in the same season in high school. So soccer was really, I would just, I would do soccer, train for soccer because it's a team sport. And then when I could just show up for meets um, in track and field. So I didn't really train for track until um, college. Um, and even then it was still part-time because my scholarship was for soccer. So I would just go from in-season in the soccer season to straight into the spring and be in track season and kind of back, bounced back and forth like that for three years until I redshirted um, going into my senior fall of soccer. So I could just do 
a full year of just soccer and then go into track and just put all my focus on track for the first time. And that's kind of where it took off when I qualified for the 2016 Olympic trials and decided I wanted to continue on with, with track and see what I could do. So not until you were a senior in college, did it, did you just focus on track and field? Yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. I was always, um, always bouncing back and forth and, um, soccer really, I mean, they paid for my school. They took the lead. Like I, I gave, and it's a team sport. So I put a lot more of my focus into that. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, my seat, so when I was gosh, 22 was the first time that I just focused on track and field for the first time in my life. And I got that fall foundational training that I had never had. And, um, it really took off for me and I was like, shit, maybe I should be doing this longer <laughs> and focusing on that for but, but more of my focus on track. Um, it just really opened my eyes and honestly, I was happier in the sport. I just kind of fell in love with it all over again and had a really strong passion for it. And then seeing what I did in 2016 with just a year of track under like really just a year of just focusing on track, I was like, dang, I want to do this for four more years and see if I can get any better, see how far I can go and how much better I can get. And I'm really, really happy I did. <laughs> that is so awesome. You don't hear about that in, in yeah. women's sports. You definitely don't hear about them getting into something later in life and then being successful at it. You know, it's like there's a there's a time yeah. period of maturing in there where like I guess women mature faster and that has to do with it or something. But there's a time period where if you're going to start and make it, it's usually like in this sweet spot and or you kind of missed your window. So yeah. it's kind of cool that you did that. That's that's absolutely. Really um, yeah, absolutely. And I just think dual sports aren't really like encouraged anymore like you're kind of forced into like in high school to pick a sport and I just was pretty stubborn and was like nope I'm just gonna do both in college so I think that's kind of rare too that's kind of that is something I talk about a lot because we have uh four kids and we're oh you you want them to get into so many like you want them to do whatever they want like as many different things try them you know they could bounce back and forth I don't I'm not big like I'm a big baseball guy and then when you know, I, I watched it, didn't really pay attention to like little league stuff. And then I become a parent and I go like yeah. travel teams, what they play year round. This is insane. Like they, they don't get to play basketball. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. It, there's nothing. So, um, I mean, maybe that helped intense. you out playing the different things and maybe that it, like worked out even better. Yeah, I think it did. I think playing, I think doing both, both sports for so long, you don't get burnt out of one. You're, you know, you're kind of mixing it up. So when you, after a few months of one sport, I'm like, okay, now I get to like switch gears and do something else. And that, and that's just super fun. It keeps it entertaining. You're, um, you meet so many different people, like the amount of girls that I've met and friends that I've made, um, through both sports. I'm like best friends with all today, still from like little league up to college. So um, I just think there's so many pros to doing multiple sports. And I think it's made me the athlete I am for sure, because it's put me in so many different scenarios and different pressure, pressure situations with team sports, with individual sports. And I think I've just grown a lot because of that. Well, this, the soccer thing is interesting because women's soccer is intense. And I went yeah. to an Aggie. <laughs> I'm not like a crazy big soccer fan. I mean, I'll watch the World Cup and the uh-huh. big matches because I like like really high level soccer. And I just yeah. came across some free tickets one time. I'm like, yeah, I'll go see a game. That's cool. And I went and yeah. I was like, 
oh, this is awesome to watch. Like they, these, yeah, <laughs> the girls get after it. Like they are get after yeah. it. There's less. I feel like, and you can answer this question for me because I actually had this question mm-hmm. not too long ago. Um, I feel like women's soccer, they don't flop as much as men, and that may be why I enjoy it more. Oh, hell yeah. No, girls are vicious in soccer and they're tough as hell. Like I, yeah, I feel like there are elbows thrown, there are punches thrown, like girls are like pulling people's pigtails and you're like still fighting to stay up. And then in men's, in men's soccer, you get like poked and they like flail all over the ground. It's like, give them an Oscar. Um, But yeah, no, girls are soccer. Soccer girls are badass and they're tough as hell, and um, I would agree with that for sure. <laughs> okay, okay. Cause, so my the theory is correct then, because uh, your theory is correct. About it, I yeah, like, <laughs> I think that's why I like it more because I hate the flopping in soccer, and that's why I don't watch basketball as much oh, anymore because yeah. it's just annoying. But um, I just had that. I had yeah, it popped in my sure. head right now as we were talking. I was like, oh, I need to ask her. She would know. She played it. <laughs> so, um, so on the lead up to this. It, I imagine it's crazy because I, I've always thought this about the Olympics. It's something that you train for, for you give it like four years. Some people give it more to, and then you have yeah. one shot. Like you got one shot to make it. If you miss this one little chance that you have one chance to perform, yeah. you have to wait another four years. Like it's, that's it. Mm-hmm. There is nothing else. It's, crazy. And it's gnarly. <laughs> and I believe there's a lot of things in between there that you have to do like meets and stuff like that to qualify mm-hmm. and to keep your rank. Or I, I don't know exactly the process, but I would imagine it's that way. So yeah. what's that mm-hmm. process? Like, what was that like to train so hard? Like, do you see the results right away? Are you nervous before you enter that, like no, that oh final gosh. thing? And then what's it feel like after, like when it's all over? Oh my gosh. I mean, it, it's been, no, it's not always great. And it's not always been like a success, you know, the last five, it's been five years now with the postponement because of everything with COVID. Um, and like, it's just looking back, um, on the last five years, it's just been such a journey and such a grind and there's not a lot of money in track and field. And, um, so there's just so many sacrifices that go into it. And so, yeah, I think when, when we're like two weeks out of, of the trial, a lot of anxiety set in. I was kind of putting a lot of pressure on myself going into that meet because it's all this time and effort and sacrifice for one moment. And um, I work a lot with a sports psychologist. Um, I've been working with him for like eight and a half months. And so we really dialed in everything like the week prior and I kind of let go of all those expectations and the pressure and just really committed to um, just being present through the experience and having fun and enjoying it because it's not many people get to experience Olympic trials. And I wanted to be, I was really proud of just making it that far. And so um, I really just wanted to go have fun and enjoy it. And I think that's why I did so well and why I was successful because like you said, like it, all that time and effort for one moment can be really heavy on, on athletes. Um, so yeah, going, I, I think I just, I took a lot of time to prepare for that. And I've worked as a sports psychologist for, for eight and a half months now, and he's been amazing. So I'm really, I really think I just prepared really well going into the meet, um, to not let those pressures get the best of me. What, what's the process like with a, with a sports psychologist? Because I, I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. mentally is super important. Like, I, I mean, that's, yeah. 
that is a majority. Like you can do so much training, but mentally you can overcome a lot of things. But, and I've had Justin yeah. Sewell on the podcast and he works with like the Rays right now, the Tampa Bay Rays. But mm-hmm. I'm curious from your perspective, like how that, how that went as far as preparing yourself for the meet. Yeah. I mean, I think I look back and like COVID was such a blessing because I think so many things came out of COVID that I, if the Olympics had happened when they were supposed to, I don't think I would have done as well. I don't know that I would have won the Olympic trials um, because I started working with him like eight and a half months ago and I work with him weekly. It's super intentional. The first six weeks was like a foundational training of mindfulness um, because my specific mental coach is like a mindfulness and sport type coaching um, style So the first six weeks, he was just giving me the basics of it all and the foundation of mindfulness and being present and what it all entails and the values that go under that. And then after those first six weeks, um, that's when we start kind of catering it to what I'm going through in my practices or my meets that are popping up um, and really learning how to be present um, and then anchoring yourself, grounding yourself in moments. So when you're nervous, your anxieties are high, your heart rate's up. Um, things like that, that we really worked through a lot, especially with the heptathlon, um, you know, mental side of any sport is really crucial, but I think especially in the heptathlon, because there's seven different events and there's so many things that can happen. You're never going to have a perfect heptathlon. Um, so in years past, an event would go wrong or wouldn't, I wouldn't do what I wanted to, and I would fall off or whatever would happen. And I would just let it get the best of me. I would take it into the next event. And so I think he's really helped me just like accepting whatever happens in that moment and moving on and, and redirecting my focus to what I need to execute in the next moment. Um, so yeah, he's been amazing and it's been really hard work. He's pushed me a lot. He's challenged me in tons of ways, especially because I had a lot, a lot of adversity this year that I wasn't expecting. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that I had the time with him because I think it made the world of difference, especially at the Olympic trials. What are some of the adversities that that you struggled with as far as that goes? Like you say, like, because yeah. mentally that, like when you said you would have won a bad event, that resonates with any athlete whatsoever. Like you yeah. can see somebody sure. when they get in their own head because they've done bad and they just start to drift off and lose. Like, it, that momentum mm-hmm. is so important. So it's really hard to reverse the momentum yeah. or to forget like that you did it, like that you mm-hmm. did something bad and just focus on the next one. Like it was brand new. So I just curious as the yeah. adversities as well, like what, what kind of adversities did you face during the year? Yeah. I mean, I had, so my first two heptathlons different than like open events. Cause you don't get a ton of opportunities. Like, you know, girls can, that are just hurdlers will get like 15 meets in the year or whatever. We get like two, maybe three heptathlons in the year. So, um, my first two that I was supposed to have my first one and mind you, this is like the strongest I've felt mentally and physically like ever. So I felt more prepared for these heptathlons than I've ever been. Um, and the first one just didn't go as planned. I crashed in the hurdles. Um, I was carrying more speed than I was used to. It threw my rhythm off. And so, um, I crashed in the hurdles. I ended up bruising my heel really bad and had to deal with that, um, for like three weeks, just kind of managing my heel bruise. And I wasn't able to get the reps that I wanted. So then going into our second heptathlon, um, out in Austria, 
I finally put together a really good day one. It was a day one PV. I was leading after day one and then went into the long jump and fouled all three of my, my jumps. So I didn't get a mark and I, and I, and I had to pull out basically. So, um, yeah, it was really tough. It was, um, one of, you know, those, and when you're in the middle of those moments, it's like, why is this happening? Like I have prepared so much. I am stronger than I've ever been. Like I, you just don't understand. Um, and the biggest thing I think that's helped me with working with my sports psych, um, Taylor is acceptance and whatever I, I truly believe I'm a woman. I like, I'm really strong faith and I truly believe like God has a plan and, and no matter what happens, it's his plan, not mine. And um, in those moments, I was like, this isn't my plan. This was not what I planned or wanted. But I know God has a better plan for me. And it's going to lead me down the path that he that he laid out. And so I kind of lean on that a lot. And, and then that kind of coincides with everything that Taylor's taught me, that it's acceptance. And whatever's showing up for you in that moment is what is supposed to happen and what it's supposed to be. And so when you kind of accept that, it, you let go of all those like, dang, I should have done this. I should have done that. I wish I would have done this. And that's you just getting caught up in the past, which is completely out of your control. It's a waste of energy. So um, just accepting those moments and then taking the lessons from them and and moving forward and and seeing where I can get better from those lessons was huge, I think, this year. Um, and it all prepared me in an amazing way for the Olympic trials. I, I don't think if I would have fouled, if I would have gotten those jumps in, I wouldn't have gone back after GOTSIS and really dialed in my long jump approach and made it better and, and made it more consistent. Um, and so I was super confident going into trials because I had, I had really worked that out with my coach and I wouldn't have done that if I, if I hadn't had the experience at GOTSIS. So um, it all happens for a reason. And I think once you accept those moments, um, it's a lot easier. They kind of lose their power. It's that is so true to the things that we're mm-hmm. not in control of. We stress about the most. Like that's what we stress about. Like uh-huh. when you're in control my, of it. Yeah. And my boyfriend even told me, he was like, he's like, when did you ever look back and be like, I'm glad I worried about that. And I'm like, that's <laughs> such a good point. Like you never look back and you're like, that was worth worrying about. Like everything works it's, itself out the way it's supposed to. And we get so caught up in like the past and the, the anxieties of the future and you forget to be in the moment you're in. And so, um, yeah, I thought that was funny. I'm like, that you're so right. <laughs> I'm going to steal that from him for sure. You can tell him I'm yeah. stealing. That's so good. Like when have you looked back it's and so said, good. I'm really happy that I worried about that. That was awesome. Worried about that. Like yeah. that was worth my energy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So, so explain what all the events that you get to do and like, mm-hmm. and how the point system works with your heptathlon. Yeah. Yeah. So we do two days. So the first day is hurdles, high jump, shot put 200. Day two is long jump javelin in the 800. Um, and basically for every mark or rate or how, however fast you run a race or how far you throw or how far you jump, there's like down to centimeters, you get a certain amount of points for, for those marks. Um, and then they add it up all at the end and then your total score is how you win. So, um, it's basically like there's like a heptathlon book, like that you can go through and it literally has like every single potential point that you can get. Um, so like in high jump, for example, like each bar is like 30 points around that. And, um, in the 200, like every 10th of a second, I think is like 10 or 15 points or something like that. So kind of breaks it down like that. And then they add it up at the end to get your final score. 
So it really is like an all-around, like, athletic event. Like, everything. You have to be good yeah. at a bunch of different things. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so that's, and that's awesome. You can't just focus on one thing. So you have to spend a lot of time on a bunch of different yeah. items to get like to get good because like you said if mm-hmm. you, you got no points on failing the long jump and that like sets you way back like everybody else just passes you yeah over one event like you could w- can you mm-hmm. win every event and then not get a point on that and you don't like you're out yeah pretty much i mean because it would just throw you out because i mean it basically if you do like really well in an event you want to be between like 900 and a thousand points um and so if you get zero, <laughs> it's really going to throw you off. You're not going to be in the mix at all. So, um, yeah, if you mess up one event, like you're pretty much screwed. That and that and that's a lot of pressure in and of itself because it's two days yeah. worth of it versus like and I'm not saying I'm not taking away anything from the people who like the sprinters or, you know, the, the people that have one event. Yeah, like they've got one event and they're oh, scored yeah. on that. That's what they're winning the gold or the silver or the bronze for. That's what they're going for. Yeah. That they're focused. They can be laser focused on one, and you have to somehow be laser focused on one, and then switch gears immediately and go to the next one. But like to be able yeah, to manage sure. all the different events is probably like I see that as a way more difficult task as a, a from yeah. an athletic side. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where like the mental side comes in and it is so important because it is so much stuff that you're trying to hone in and master. Um, but I think also that's why the heptathlon is, is exciting and fun and you don't get burnt out of one event. You don't do the same thing every single day. And so that keeps it exciting. Um, and it's fun. Like if I have a bad day, if I have a bad hurdle day, I can be like, okay, well, at least I get to go high jump next. Like I'll have fun there type of thing. Um, so it keeps it fun. It keeps it exciting. And, um, I think it's just like really special because you have to be so good at so many different things. So is it the same way over the Olympics? They do it two days or is it longer or how's, how's the Olympic (laughs) spot? work? Yeah. So it's always two days. Um, normally, so the Olympic schedule is pretty much the toughest there's ever. Um, normally you kind of go back to back events. Like you'll have like an hour, maybe two hours max before your next event, um, including your warm up time. So that's kind of how it's normally run at the Olympics. It's super spread out. Um, so we'll be starting at like 9am and then we'll have hurdles and high jump. And then we get like a five hour break and then we come back and we do shot put in the 200. So we finish around like eight 30 at night. And then we long jump starting at 9 a.m. the next day. So the turnover is like hardly any recovery. Normally we'll start like – usually you'll finish at like 4 or 5 p.m. And then you'll start again at like 11 a.m. So you get more recovery time. Um, so the turnover from day one to day two at the Olympics is like really tough. And that's what I think we're trying to prepare for. Um, and then you get a big gap again, you get like two or three hours before job and then you get like four hours before the 800. So everything's just like super spread out, um, dragged out mentally and physically. So, um, definitely preparing for that. Cause it's going to look a lot different. Well, the differences between, and if anybody's ever competed before, they, they probably would know this is like you, you get in a routine as an athlete of like your recovery, how you handle eating, yeah. how you handle your body. And for sure, like that difference are you practicing that like now do you start practicing the rhythm 
Yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely is like been, we've been thinking about it and talking about it and trying to mentally prepare. I've been talking with my sports psych about it too. Um, at the Olympic trials, I feel like even just talk about like everything happens for a reason. The, they postponed the 800 and we got like six hours before the 800. So that's not normal for us at all. And so I kind of got some practice in what that would look like and learned how to handle it. And I think I handled it really well. And I just kind of went back and restarted my day and did my meditation and just literally started my day over because I had so much time and, and that prepped me really well. So I think having that experience will really prepare me for the Olympics. And that's kind of what I'm planning on going in to do um, for the Olympics and prepping that way. And then we'll start, I think we're going to do like next week, two of our days, we're kind of going to mimic our practice by the Olympic schedule. So we'll start early in the morning, then we'll, we'll have a long break, we'll come back out at night. Um, and then we'll come back the next day and at 9am and try to mimic what it'll be like just to get a feel for it um, with that less recovery, less sleep type stuff. Um, and then we'll try to get on the the time zone as soon as we step on the plane um, over to Japan. We'll try to whatever if we got to sleep longer, or we got to stay up. We'll try to get on their time zone to make it an easier transition for sure. What do you do? You do anything when you go that far? Like when you travel that far and you're going to do like an athletic event, you've got to be top notch. That traveling is rough. Um, do you do anything when you land? Yeah. Like do you work out? Do you stretch? Like what's your what's your routine like when you land to get your body yeah. prepped? Yeah. So typically we try to get upgraded so we can be in like a more comfortable seat so we can sleep if we need to. Um, normally we go to Europe for a lot of our, for our meets. So we don't really go the other way to Asia. Um, so I think that might be a little bit different, but like I said, like I'll step on the plane and then I'll look at like whatever the time zone, like whatever the time is that I'm going to, I just coordinate that way. So I'm like, if it's lunchtime, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay up. And until, cause if we get there at dinner time or whatever, or the morning you want to sleep or, or, or stay up as long as you can to kind of get on their schedule. Um, so I'll do that for sure. And then as soon as we get there, um, actually during the flight, I get up every, like, unless I'm like trying to sleep longer, but I'll try to get up every few hours, um, and do some mobility and stretching, um, and just walk the aisles. So you're kind of getting, um, your blood flow going. We wear compression socks and compression tights to kind of keep everything from swelling, from flying that long. Um, and then when we get there, um, usually usually we're pretty tired, so we don't, like, go practice or anything. Um, but we'll do, like, mobility or stretching or, like, go ride a bike um, at the hotel just to kind of get our blood flow going again and then try to get on their schedule as much as we can and then start practice the next day. And then go through the routine. How early do you have to show up to mm-hmm. Tokyo before the rest of the, like, before the Olympics, your actual, like, thing? Is it a set date, like, when you fly over there? Yes. Yeah. Um, Japan, like, doesn't want us there. <laughs> they are, like, not stoked about having us in their country. So there are some pretty strict protocols and um, timelines that they're allowing. So, like, we don't – none of the track kids get to go to opening ceremonies because – when we compete is at the end of the games. And um, so they're only allowing you in, I think it's like seven or nine days prior to you competing. So I fly out on the 26th, get there the 27th, and then I compete on the 4th and 5th. And then they're making sure that you leave within 48 hours of your competition being over. Oh. Um, so then I fly back on the 7th and closing ceremonies is supposed to be on the 8th. So I don't get to, I don't get to do any of the ceremonies. And honestly, we're kind of unsure if they're even going to have them because of the state of emergency in Japan right now. Um, they aren't going to allow spectators now too. So 
uh, yeah. So it's going to be look a lot different. Like I'm like, of course I made the Olympics when it's like the weirdest Olympics ever. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get to experience everything fully, but I'm just grateful we get to go and compete still. So it might be one of the most remembered ones if it's going to be that way, you know, the weirdest. Yeah. It's it's very historical. That's for sure. But it's kind of mm-hmm. a bummer you missed. Definitely. The, oh, I mean, it's a bummer you missed the opening and closing ceremonies. Like it's a special. Like you've trained for four years to go to this ceremony. Yeah. And it's like, oh well, now I just have to watch it on TV. I know, and I've heard like it's way cooler on TV for people. Like it's aesthetically more pleasing. Like when you're in the middle of it, you can't really see, like it's not what it looks like on TV. Obviously, so no. um, I'm just trying to tell myself like, oh, it's not that great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not missing much. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure your folk like I'm sure your focus is is your events anyway, and and performing. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here thinking from if an anything, outsider. it's going to be less distraction. Yeah, for sure. And then it's like more of just okay, this is a business trip. We're here to compete, and there will be less distraction, and it'll hopefully help me focus more. So, yeah. Do the okay. Do the kind of piggybacking on the soccer thing. Do female track? Do track and field athletes talk trash and like? Is there a mental game with <laughs> with this sort of thing? It just I, I happen to think it was like, man, I don't know if they're like whispering in each other's ear, if they say things behind the scenes, or there's <laughs> little like mind games they play with each other. It's interesting. I think in like the open events, like the sprinters, um, I think there's definitely more of like a competitive spirit of like, I'm not your friend and like I'm your competitor and screw you type of thing. Um, or like, I'm going to kick your ass. Cause definitely the sprinters are like more intense and just like, n- like you don't see them like joking or talking or anything. Whereas like the heptathletes, I think, which is part of the reason I love it as well. It's more of like a community. And like, I think we all just understand what each other go through in training for seven different events. Um, so there's really this camaraderie in the heptathlon that's kind of special. Um, and also like everyone has their different strengths. So I think that's really cool too, because I like, for example, shot put is my best event. So like I could win the shot put, but like Erica, my training partner could get a personal best in the shot put. And we both had a great day. So it's, it's really about just doing You're you're kind of going against yourself and trying to get your best in each event. Um, instead of that, like really intense competitive nature and atmosphere. Um, so, and we're with each other for two full days. So you kind of get to talking and, um, I, I really think that the heptathletes have a really cool bond and we all are like, want the best for each other and our, our friends. And it's just, it's kind of different, I think, compared to like open events for sure. That's pretty cool that you're all, you're all kind of like, you're almost like you're cheering. It sounds like you're almost cheering for each other. Yeah. You're trying to sure. beat each other, but you're like, Hey, you did a good job. That's awesome. That I mean, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty yeah neat exactly. to, to hear. I would not have guessed it. Yeah, like, it's definitely different. I would not have guessed that. I, I was I was kind of secretly hoping mm-hmm. that tra- like you would say they did talk trash because that's a pretty funny story. Like, yeah. it, it, you know? <laughs> but, uh, it's very rare, I think, in the half. Like, there's always probably like one or two that like don't follow in line with like just being nice and everything. But um, for the most part, everyone's super great and and encouraging for each other. Are all of the women in the in in the heptathlon? Are they? six foot like are they real tall like you are no honestly i actually look more like the european um heptathletes that are taller and like a little bit more like power people um i am 
definitely not. Like I think the U.S. is more known for having smaller, like fast heptathletes. Um, but yeah, I think I think we all come in like different shapes and sizes. We all have different strengths. You can have like the power girls that are just really strong, um, and then you have the smaller girls that are super fast and can jump really far and jump high. So um, I think that we all kind of come in different shapes and sizes, which is fun too. Yeah, I didn't know if there was like a specific, like if it fit a certain body type, like some sports do, and some events, or if yeah. it's if if it's something like being six foot tall, like you're really tall for a woman as far as it definitely helps. I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely it helps when you're taller, um, in the events just with jumps and, and, and your stride length and you might take less steps than other people. So it definitely helps to be tall for sure. Um, but there are a lot of heptathletes that are small. Jessica Ennis was from Great Britain and she was a gold medalist and a silver medalist. I think at the last Olympic or in Rio, um, and she's like five, six and a half. So, and she's jumped like six, three or something ridiculous in the, in the high jump. So, uh, you don't have to be tall, but I think it definitely helps. Well, that's kind of, I mean, they, that would give a lot of people hope. Like they're not like, Oh, my height is hindering me. Yeah. There's no, ex- there's no excuse. Yeah. Not like. at all. My training partner is like five, seven. <laughs> that's almost my height. So I, yeah. you're like, that's a little yeah. tiny. Like, yeah, that's a little tiny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay so the big there was a bunch of coverage about your the thing on your wrist did you write that or did you yeah from from your grandma Uh did you write it or get it tattooed on there um I wrote it actually um yeah so it's a fun story um my great aunt was like my favorite favorite person in the world she was just the best and she was kind of the person I would call like if I was going through something hard or whatever, because she's just been through a ton in her life. She's lost two kids out of her three kids have passed away, had passed away in like freak accidents within like two years of each other. And then she was married three times and every husband she was with died while she was married to them. So she struggled with like a lot of loss, a lot of heartache, a lot of trials and tribulations. And so um, while when she got really sick and I, I flew home to be with her, I was able to spend a lot of time with her in the hospital and, um, I asked her, I said, what, what got you through those times in your life where you just didn't want to get out of bed in the morning because you lost your kids and your husband and you were doing it alone. And, um, she's a woman of faith. And that was something I really admired about her. And she said that she would just talk to God in the morning and she would say the Bible verse Philippians four thirteen, and which is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and I think that just always like really stuck with me. And, and she was at the Olympic trials in 2016, um, supporting me. And I really just wanted a piece of her there with me. And so I wrote the Bible, her Bible verse on my wrist with, and, and under, underneath I wrote, God is with me. Um, so it kind of just gave me a piece of her, a piece of strength, which is something I always admired about her. Um, and then actually I had at Christmas, when she was getting sick and everything, um, I had given her a ring that, uh, I wear it now, but I didn't have it at the time. I gave her this ring, um, while she was in the hospital and it has her initials and then her favorite Bible verse on it. And she actually passed away in it. Um, and then we thought she, we thought it was lost in the hospital, like with everything. And, um, so we thought it was gone. And then at the Olympic trials, actually, When I finally got to my family that night after I had won, um, the first thing my mom came up to me was handed uh, and did was hand me a piece of paper and I opened it. It said, give this to Annie and the ring was taped to it. 
Um, so I kind of, I got the ring back that we had given her that she'd passed away in. And so I wear it every day now and I kind of have that piece of her, but at the trials I didn't. So I, I, I wrote it on my wrist to kind of have that with me. That's a crazy, that is a crazy story. I can't, I mean, yeah. imagine losing some, like, uh, I mean, I can't even imagine losing a child. That's like, that's wild. And then Awful. three husbands, three Three husbands, yeah, and two, and her her two kids died literally within like two year two years of each other, and one of them was a drunk driving accident, and the other one was just a freak accident. He was walking down the street and got hit in the back of the head with this truck, this, this latch that came off this truck, um, and killed him instantly. Yeah, so just crazy, crazy stories that she's been through, and like if she was just the most like level, steady Eddie, positive woman of faith that just was a light in this world. And after all that tragedy, she was just such an inspiration that I still look up to and aspire to be. So tough. So tough. Yeah. So tough. I mean, crazy that like, you'd like to think that you would like, I would like to think that I would react in the same sort of ways as as she did. And you know, if you play it in your head, but man, that's, you never know. Man, It's incredible. Yeah. And I think, I think when you go through that much loss, you just have an appreciation for life that you didn't have before. Um, so she really just lived her faith and, and was amazing. So yeah, that's my, it's probably one of my favorite stories to tell because she's, she was just the best and I miss her so much. <laughs> it is, it is a, it's a very awesome story. I mean, it really is. Thank and you. <laughs> it really comes like with the, the faith thing, no matter what you believe, like whatever it is, it's important yeah. to have that belief in something. Like mm-hmm. it's it's really Something important greater, to have the belief yeah. because like without that belief, what was she going to do when she lost her three, like without something to fall exactly. back on? Exactly. What was she going to of... lean on and who was she going to talk to and who was going to get her through those times? And um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, she's, everybody's grown and she's away from, from like, nobody can be there 24 seven. And I mean, that's a tragic, no. those are tragic events that can really mess people up if they don't have something that they believe in strongly you know, that to fall back on that foundation, that grounding and that belief in something in the, in God's plan. And, um, yeah, I just, I completely agree. And she was just such a role model in that way. That's yeah, that is crazy. And that, I mean, just Mm -hmm. seeing some of that stuff. So when did that happen? When, when did she pass away after the 2016 child? She passed away in January. No, she passed away this past January, actually. So, um, yeah, we spent our last Christmas with her, and she, I think she was holding out for Christmas. She was, her health really tanked um, the last, like, from November to December. Um, and so, like, we flew home, and we got Christmas with her, and it was really special. We got her in, in our house, and we got an in, in-home care nurse to come and take care of her. And um, so she passed away, like, a couple weeks after Christmas once everyone had left. And so, I mean, just seeing something that she lived through, like that kind of loss and struggle help you out, like with your psych stuff and your mental side, like seeing what she can overcome and get through. I mean, you look down at your wrist and you see that and you're like, what's this? This is a race. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that's what I've leaned into a lot, like with my running workouts, my 800 workouts, which normally are like just death. (laughs) They're like so hard. (laughs) Um, but when you put it in perspective like that, I'm like, Aunt Robbie went through this and this and this and never complained and took it in stride and, and it just was like a symbol of strength. And so, yeah, I just think I try to channel her and channel the way she responded to like awful times in her life. 
Um, and it gives you that strength inside. I'm like, this is a freaking, I'm running in a circle. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> life is not that hard. I, I'm running a circle, like just suck it up and be strong. And um, yeah, it's totally, totally helped me and, and, and just changed my perspective on a lot of things. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it helps with things in life in general, especially being close to like anything yeah. that happens in life. Like it's not that big a deal, you know? Um, right, also, exactly. It's not that serious at the end of the day. Yeah, but then it, I mean, it's something you want to do. Like the anxiety builds up. Yeah. And, you know, so there's yeah. a balance. There's a weird balance there because, I mean, obviously just hearing the story, obviously your great aunt would want you to like live life 100% to its fullest and send it all the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm, absolutely appreciate life and be grateful. And I think, and honestly, that the trials, I think that was, that was the thing. The two things that I really grounded myself and anchored in on were trust and gratitude and trust God's plan, trust my body and be grateful for the experience and enjoy it. And I think those are kind of the things that she taught me for sure. That's awesome. That is such a wild story. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> not, to to- not to totally switch gears, but you posted something about being voted the most clumsy and tripping oh over gosh. a hurdle, ending up with a black eye. And I, in I my have a head, black I w- eye. I don't know if you can tell. I put makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm oh, man. Thinking like, so how does an athlete that competes in seven events – get voted the most clumsy like you you made the pinnacle you've made the pinnacle of all pinnacles the olympics the in the world the most i mean talk about some trash talk like hey i'm the most clumsy per i got voted most clumsy and i beat all of you (laughs) yeah Seriously, I, it's a conundrum. It doesn't make sense, but I, my, my brother jokes that I'm only athletic at high speeds, um, which is pretty funny, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I got, I'm just a klutz. Like my last name's Koontz, but I, I remember in middle school, I used to be called like Annie Klutz. Um, but then I was like beating the boys in sports and stuff. So it just like never made sense, but I've just been very clumsy and I got a black eye, yesterday um doing block starts i like poked myself in the eye coming out of the blocks which (laughs) i don't even know how anyone does that or not it's not a thing like not a thing at all so just managed a way to like be a klutz and and injure myself in some way (laughs) what's your coach say whenever you injure yourself from the block with your (laughs) hand or thumb he just shakes his head. He's just like, oh, Annie. He's like, that's just par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That, so I silly. Mean, <laughs> the, like, so did you – you just played soccer and the, the, the track and field all through high school. Where did you grow up? Uh-huh. And I played volleyball in high school too. Um, I grew up outside of Denver in like a suburb of Denver in uh, Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Okay. Okay, is that where you still live, or you, mm-hmm. or did you move yeah. there for your? Yeah, your my family? parents are still there. Um, my parents are still there. My whole family is back in Wheat Ridge. A lot, of, like most of my friends and family, still. Um, and then I moved to California after the Olympic trials in 2016. Um, they have a residence program here, so out in San Diego, south of San Diego and Chula Vista, they have like an Olympic training center that has multiple sports. They have rugby, um, archery, track, Paralympic track. Um, rowing comes out there a lot. So they have a bunch of different Olympic sports and they have a residence programs. So it's kind of like dorms. 
um, that you can live in and they have like a dining hall and it's like college for post-collegiate athletes <laughs> um, that you can go and compete and uh, train for the next Olympics. Yeah. I was actually really curious about that. And I really wanted to ask you about the, because the money issue with uh, like with you and yeah. you've got to go to Tokyo and you've got all this training and how do you do all of that mm-hmm. without being able to be? Because you're not allowed to be a professional athlete, right? Or make a bunch of money off the track and field, or are you? No, I am. I am. It's just hard because track doesn't have a lot of money. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of most most of the money in track and field comes from sport, um, like shoe and apparel companies, like Adidas or Nike or New Balance. Um, and then they'll give you like a, if you get sponsored by them, they usually give you a base salary, which usually isn't super high, but it's at least something. Um, and then you can get like endorsement deals and partnerships that way. And like a lot of people make money in that way. And then, um, in Europe is where most of like the prize money is for a lot of track meets. So we usually do like Euro tours where we'll go, um, and compete over there, but it's a little different for the heptathlon because we don't get as many opportunities to, do heps you don't do a bunch in a year so there's there's limited opportunities for prize money um so yeah that's definitely been probably the biggest struggle of the last five years is just making it financially and I I honestly would not have been able to continue post-collegiately and train for this Olympics if I hadn't been if I hadn't been recruited by the Olympic Training Center um because they have it's free rent it's food um they cover our insurance and then they cover our domestic travel to meet so they help out a lot but it's still you know there's still other expenses that come into play so it's been really tough my parents have been incredibly supportive um and i'm hoping that now after my last performance at trials i'll try to kind of get some interest and sponsorships and um actually a&m is gosh i they started to go fund me um, to like, support me and Aggies are just the best. And the Aggie network is never ceases to amaze me. And they donated a bunch of money to help me out um, and upgrade my, my ticket to Tokyo so I can be more comfortable. And um, so I'm just super beyond like overwhelmingly grateful um, for, for that. Cause it's, it's really been a grind and really, really hard the last five years financially. I can say this unbiased, like you went to A&M, so people might think that that's biased. I moved from somewhere to here, been to a lot of college towns. This is by far the best one that yeah. I've been in. I love living here. The The community uh. and the, the athlete, the the people, the kids that go to school, it's it's not like yeah. any other college town. I, and I even said, like, I really it enjoy the, the honor and, like, the... The pride people take in being Aggies for the majority, which is wild, is how many kids go there, and the mm-hmm. that, just that attitude right there, where they're like, "We got to help an Aggie out. It's track and field. It's not football, but it doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's help yeah. her out." I know it's just it's incredible, and especially with such a like hard couple years that people have. I'm just it's so generous for people to to help me out in, in that way. And it, it just makes me so grateful that I chose a place like A&M with such a, an amazing community um, that night I've been gone for, you know, five years now and they're still right behind me and supporting me and, and encouraging me in every way. And I just think that's so special and you don't get that many places. How did you pick A&M? Um, A&M, well, they were like the first school to, uh, like as soon as you're allowed to, they were like the first school to email me with recruiting stuff. Um, I remember the, the 
first line was like, howdy. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what the hell? I was like, where is that? Like, what? <laughs> like, I'm in Colorado. I'm not in the South. I was like, what the hell is howdy? Um, so I will never forget that. I remember thinking like, where is that place? And then I went down and um, I just fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with the big school and the the um, just the support behind sports and soccer gets a lot of support at AM. They get really full crowds for their for their games. It was just a whole culture that I hadn't experienced before. Um and being in the SEC and all of that is like a whole other world. <laughs> um, so I just kind of fell in love with the school and the people um more than anything when I went down there on my recruiting trip. I was looking at other schools. I was looking at North Carolina, Virginia Tech and Florida State. Um and going to all those schools, I was committed to doing both sports. I was just a matter of finding someone that would let me. Um, and A&M really made that extra effort to show me what it would look like to do both sports. They introduced me to the track coach. We had a sit-down meeting and, and, and went over logistically like what my weeks would look like to do both sports. And no one else did that. A lot of the other schools just were like, yeah, we'll let you do it. But like they didn't show me how. And and they didn't really make an effort the way that A&M did. And um, I just, I fell in love with everyone that I met and everyone was so kind and welcoming. And it just seemed like a, uh, an atmosphere that I wanted to be a part of and, and, a, and a network that I wanted to be a part of. And I think I, I couldn't be happier with the choice I made. Well, there's the tips right there for recruiting. Like, mm-hmm. show them what, like go the extra mile, that yeah. de- the details. That's, that's kind of funny because all those schools are very enticing. Like there's not like, yeah. Yeah, they were. And I mean, A&M also was coming. I mean, their track team was coming off the triple double. So they had won uh, national championships three years in a row for men and women, which is like insane. And then um, the soccer team was a consistent sweet 16 team. So looking at like, I want to be on a successful team on both sides. um, But I also want to be with amazing people and and that are going to help me do both sports. It was just the best of both worlds. And um, I got super, super lucky. Yeah, and I mean, we don't have the mountains or anything, or the back. <laughs> the, everything's two and a half, three hours away if you want to go do something outside the town. But, yeah. but that you, like, you are right. The town is. You have awesome. everything you need in College Station, though, and and there's there's not many reasons to leave. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. I mean, we travel a lot. We love Colorado. We've been to Colorado several times. Yeah. Utah, and they're very beautiful places. But um, this is kind of like it's kind of home. So. Yeah, 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 and it's just the community that makes College Station so special. True, very true. Well, thank you, Annie, for being on. This is awesome. Uh, let, thank when you. Is, do you know the dates? Like, so what are the days you're going again? Say the days that you're going to be. Uh, yeah, racing. so I leave on the 26th. I get there the 27th, and then I will be competing in Japan on the 4th and 5th. So. I will definitely post like on my social media stuff when I know like what time that will be in the U S because it will be like, I think Japan's 16 hours ahead of California. So, um, I will post that on like my Instagram and stuff, but, um, the fourth and fifth are the official days that I will be competing at the Olympics. So and crazy. if everybody wants to keep track of you, Instagram is the best place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm on Twitter too. I just got back on Twitter. Um, but yeah, definitely Instagram is the more, where I'm Twitter more active. Is- Twitter is a mess. That's a mess. It is a mess. (laughs) (laughs) 
They, I'm safer on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can kind of control what comes into your mind. But Twitter, it's yeah. like it just floods you and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like It's um. so many opinions and, and things. So, yeah, I definitely think I'm safer on Instagram. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, thank you again for doing this. Like, Absolutely. Thank you for you. having me. All of College Station is for sure cheering for you. But uh, I thank think it's, it's really awesome. And, and uh, thank you for being on. Best of... Like I want to say best of luck, but then at the same time, it's not always luck. So I don't. I'm not going to go that. Way. <laughs> Thank you so I'm much, Aaron. I really appreciate it. This has uh, been super fun for me. Thanks. Thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. Support Annie and all that she is doing, and cheer for her in Tokyo and the Olympics. And until the next episode, see ya.